morning. So, a uh, couple disclaimers, first of all. This is uh, my first time preaching, so if you're new to Cornerstone, maybe give it another week. <laughs> um, second of all, no one actually gave me any parameters for time to, uh, to speak as well, so this could be 10 minutes, this could be a half hour, we're just going to work through this together. <laughs> I have no idea. So the title of my sermon is, uh, Where's the Focus? Uh, is it on Jesus or the waves? So to start, I'm just going to read Matthew 14, 22 to 33. Um, Allison wanted me to give a little bit of context before I start reading this. So just to recall that uh, just prior to these verses, Jesus had fed the 5,000. So Matthew 14, 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went on to a mountainside by himself to pray. Later, uh, later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind and waves, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Just going to pray. <clears throat> Dear Jesus, just thank you for this moment. Thank you that uh, we have this opportunity to, to learn about your word. I just pray that um, whatever I say, just that it'll be your words, dear Jesus. Just um, help this message to um, just be what you want uh, us all to hear. Just thank you again for this morning. Amen. So when we read Matthew 14, 22 to 33 reminded this was not the first time that Jesus demonstrated his supernatural control over nature. The new storm likely brought back memories for the disciples of the moment Jesus revealed to them another facet of his power when he calmed the storm with a simple rebuke. At the time, like anyone who's caught in a storm, the disciples desperately tried to keep their boat afloat. I'm sure they're using every bit of their experience to try to keep their ship from sinking. But it was clear this wouldn't be enough. The storm was too big for them. Oddly, throughout this whole ordeal, we see Jesus just sleeping in the boat. Finally, though, when all seemed lost and death seemed imminent, they call out to Jesus to save them. In fact, in Mark's gospel, they actually ask Jesus if he even cares that they're about to drown. Matthew states that the first words were not to the storm, but to his disciples. Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Only after this question does Jesus then speak to the storm. The rebuke can seem kind of jarring, almost as though Jesus is kind of oblivious to what's happening. One can see it almost as an unfair criticism. Of course, his disciples are terrified. After all, they're drowning. But it isn't an unfair criticism. And Jesus would have had far more awareness of what the disciples were experiencing than they even realized. The rebuke is a challenge, but also a correction, or perhaps more precisely, a redirection. The disciples were focusing on the wrong thing. Jesus first rebuked his disciples' lack of faith, and then seemingly, at least to our eyes, delivered an even greater rebuke to the wind and waves. 
which showed his disciples incredible power. Matthew records that they were left amazed and asked, who is this man? Even the wind and waves obey him. Similar to the first storm the disciples experienced, the rebuke that Jesus delivered to Peter is what caught my eyes. I read Matthew 14. In my eyes, Peter had demonstrated great faith by walking on water, but even so, Jesus deemed the faith to be little. Again, was this a fair criticism? Of course it was, and it had a specific purpose. Both Jesus calming the storm and Peter walking on water, of course, share the similarity that they occurred on water. And in both cases, Jesus demonstrated his supernatural control and power to his disciples. But these events also show Jesus rebuking the lack of faith the disciples demonstrated. Jesus' rebuke wasn't unfair or unfounded, but a patient and loving lesson intended to show the disciples where they needed to place their faith. The lesson didn't simply come through a demonstration of power. While that was apparent, it also came through Jesus showing them his saving love. Jesus was showing his disciples their faith needed to be in him. And this is what I want to examine for the time we have today. So much of faith is having eyes to see and ears to hear what Jesus is trying to teach us. Peter, and by, uh, by extension, the disciples had the privilege of witnessing Jesus' power on multiple occasions. Yet even so, they often seemed to exhibit and miss what Jesus was teaching them. Just prior to finding themselves once again battling the waves, Jesus had performed perhaps one of his most well-known miracles when he fed the 5,000. Even so, the disciples seemed to exhibit the same attitude that asked them to question, who is this man? After Jesus had taken compassion on the large crowd and healed many, the disciples' initial concern was that Jesus needed to send the crowd away so they could find food. Despite seeing the power of Jesus demonstrated firsthand, their reaction was to confine and limit the power of Jesus. In response to the disciples' lack of faith <clears throat> or lack of consideration for what Jesus could do, Jesus challenged his disciples that sending the crowd away wasn't necessary and that they could feed them. Of course, this would have been pretty baffling and overwhelming for the disciples. But it's true they're missing the point, what Jesus was trying to teach them, or forgetting or ignoring all that Jesus has already shown them. Jesus took their practical concerns in this moment with feeding the large crowd and turned it on its head. The little that was brought before the disciples and the crowd was turned into much. And that's what Jesus wants to show us, and that's what he showed his disciples. After feeding the 5,000, Jesus sends his disciples across the lake, while Jesus remained behind to dismiss the crowd and pray to his father. John's Gospel states the wind at this moment begins to pick up and the water grows rough. The disciples may have once again focused on the practical needs of the moment. Again, they were sailors. They knew, they knew how to navigate through storms. But this may have been another distraction, though. <clears throat> Instead of actually praying to God for help, they're actually just focusing on getting out of the storm on their own will and on their own skill. But if we contrast that to what Jesus is doing in this moment, we can see that he was praying to his Father, and one commentary actually suggests he's praying to, the, to his father for his disciples specifically. Jesus was focused on his father, unlike his disciples in this moment. Jesus did realize, though his disciples were in distress, and once again showed his compassion by breaking his rest and walking towards his disciples, this time, though, on water. And unfortunately for the disciples, rather than initially see Jesus, they see a ghost. They're naturally terrified. And it wasn't until Jesus reassured them that, no, I'm not a ghost, this is actually me, this is Jesus, that they actually begin to hear what he's trying to say and what he's actually trying to do, which is reassure them and comfort them.
But it's Peter's reaction that really catches my eye. Lord, if it is really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. This is a pretty interesting and unique response. In one part, it still expresses some lingering uncertainty, if it is really you, but at the same time recognizes the authority and power of Jesus to perform the miracle of having Peter walk on water. For Peter to make this last part of the request shows that he knows the power of Jesus. And Jesus simply responds, come. And I think it's worth stopping and pausing here a little more to unpack this. Yes, the miracle of Peter walking on water and the faith Peter demonstrated are worth noticing. But it's equally important to notice that Peter waits for the command. Peter knows enough about the water to know jumping into choppy seas would be incredibly foolish at the best of times. He waits for the command. So while Peter does express some uncertainty about who this is, and it almost seems as though he's testing Jesus, he recognizes this can't be done if it isn't within Jesus' will. How often when we test Jesus, do we wait for his command and respect his authority? Are there moments when we've taken the leap of faith when maybe that leap of faith should never have been taken at all? Part of the demonstration of our faith is recognizing God's authority over our life and our submission to his will. Yet, in typical Peter fashion, once he receives a command, he can sense there's likely no further hesitation. Peter, no doubt, jumped over the side of the boat and began to walk towards Jesus. Peter's faith has been commended in this moment, and rightly so, for Peter did walk on water. In this moment, but for a very brief moment, Peter understood the strength of his faith comes from focusing on Jesus and obeying him. Peter walked on water solely because it was Jesus' command that Peter walk on water. And Peter in this moment has complete faith that Jesus would allow him to defy the natural rules and not immediately sink into the water. By walking on, by walking on water, Peter realized that he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him. But of course this didn't last, and Peter did begin to sink. Why did Peter begin to sink? He stopped focusing on Jesus, remembering his power, and began to uh, focus on the power of the waves. I think this is where Peter becomes really relatable. I'm not sure how many of us would have even asked Jesus to allow us to walk on water, <clears throat> but we can certainly relate to Peter's lack of focus. More to the point, focusing on the wrong thing. The waves were a threat. At least they would have been without Jesus. The same way sailing into choppy waters, sailing into a storm, trying to feed 5,000 would have been an issue without Jesus. But the disciples and Peter had forgotten they had Jesus, and it was Jesus who had accomplished all the marvelous things they had witnessed. The moment Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and placed them on the waves was the moment he deemed the power of the waves to be greater than the power of Jesus. But for Peter, this is even more unflattering. Rather than just doubt the power of Jesus, He's doubting the goodness and love of Jesus. In this moment, Peter's essentially asking, why did you tell me to come here? Why did you tell me to walk on this water? Don't you see the power of these waves? Again, do you even care about me at all? Peter doubts the power of Jesus, but what would have been more wounding for Jesus? Peter doubted the concern that Jesus had for him. This moment made me recall when I was trying to teach my daughter how to ride her bike. When she started, I told her I'd be right behind her. And while she pedaled, my hands were inches away from her at all times. So she was literally protected as, as best I could. So whenever she lost her balance, I would be able to catch her. But of course, it didn't stop her from being afraid. And the very fear caused her to actually lose control. Again, I caught her, though. 
Her fear was uncertainty about what would happen to her, but it was uncertainty that I would actually be able to catch her. It wasn't until I consistently demonstrated my ability to catch her did she start to gain the confidence to learn to ride her bike well. In many ways, Jesus is teaching Peter how to ride his bike here. And you can see that Jesus was never far enough away from Peter to let him be in any real danger at all. We know this because Matthew's gospel recounts the moment Peter called out, Save me, Lord. Jesus immediately reached out his hand to grab Peter. Peter had forgotten he was walking according to the will and power of Jesus, but he was protected by the love of Jesus. He was never in any danger at all. When you look at the story through this lens, Jesus' remark that Peter has so little faith seems fitting, and you can almost hear the parental rebuke when Jesus asks, why did you doubt me? Did you really think I would call you onto the water to let you sink, to let you drown? Jesus' rebuke wasn't meant to wound, but to mend, mend the faith that had failed. The rebuke also came after Jesus once again demonstrated his saving love to Peter, and once again demonstrated to Peter that Jesus could be trusted. So when applying this text, there's three things I'd like to focus on. Number one, it's not the size of our faith, but the object of our, sa- uh, object of our faith that matters. During one of Tim Keller's sermons, he remarked, it's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. When you think about faith, so often it's our own lack of faith, or maybe perhaps the obstacles you face, the size of the obstacles you face. But like Peter, that's to focus on the wind and waves rather than the one who's greater than the wind and waves. Perhaps hearing the story, you think, yes, of course it would have been easy to have faith if I was like the disciples and had seen what Jesus did firsthand. But remember, even having seen Jesus calm the storm, the disciples still express uncertainty about who he is and so often seem to have difficulty fully trusting him. Jesus rescued Peter. And when Peter and Jesus returned to the boat, the wind stopped. This time, the disciples marvel and proclaim to Jesus that he is the Son of God. What caused the change of heart? Of course, they saw the power, but they also experienced a glimpse of the salvation Jesus provides. Through this and the many other moments Jesus taught them this lesson, they began to recognize who Jesus truly was, but once again experienced his saving love firsthand. The disciples' reaction went from uncertainty to certainty. The disciples, again, had experienced the salvation, and the only reaction was awe and worship. It's not the size of our faith that matters. It's who we place our faith in. When we place our faith in Jesus, we're placing our faith in the one who will ultimately deliver us and guide us through the storms we find ourselves in, but has uh, also promised to walk alongside us. Two, we must remember what Jesus is teaching us. The disciples, and specifically Peter, saw the power but they experienced the saving and sustaining love of Jesus. When we are walking on water, we must have our eyes on Jesus. There are times when life seems to go according to plan, even exceeding all expectations. In the moments where we feel in total control, it's easy to overlook the one who is actually in control. We need to remember that our gifts, our skills, our blessings, basically whatever gives you a sense of control, are all gifts of love from God. Psalm 16.2 reminds us of this. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. When you're sinking, you must call to Jesus. We have, uh, when we're filled with doubt, if you cling to nothing else, cling to this. He has promised to never leave you or forsake you. Again, he has promised to never leave you or forsake you. We must remember this promise 
And again, remember what the psalmist spoke about in chapter 18. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. Verse 16, he reached down on high and took hold of me. He drew me from deep waters. In verse 19, he brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Jesus taught his disciples they needed to depend on God. He taught them this lesson when he tested them with food for the large crowd, but also when he sent them on the water alone. He taught Peter that he could walk on water through the strength of Jesus, that he would be saved from his doubts through the love of Jesus. But he showed Peter that he would walk alongside him through the storm and bring him to safety. So when we have moments where we feel on top of the water, or when we feel like we're sinking, we need to remember what Jesus is teaching us. He wants us to depend on him, and he wants us to remember that he will walk alongside us to navigate whatever comes our way. Finally, it's a son of God we place our faith in, and he is worthy of our faith. Remember this, we are witnesses to Jesus' greatest demonstration of power, his greatest miracle, his love in action, his delight in both the Father but in us. When we focus on what Jesus did on the cross, we see a king who died for his enemies. That can't be taken too lightly. A king might die for his citizens, but he, a king never dies for his enemies. Not until this moment. As Romans 5, 7 to 8 says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's hard to be kind to our enemies, let alone love and forgive them. But to die for them, that's an impossibility. But this is what our faith is built upon, that we have a God who loves us enough to send his son to die for us. Not because we're good or worthy, but exactly the opposite. By focusing on this, we see the mercy, the nobility, the goodness of God. We see God's glory. But our faith and hope are placed in the fact that we have a risen king. If the cross was all we had, we would have incredible nobility, but it would be of the highest tragedy. It would be the death of the best there was and ever would be. The perfect sacrifice, but it would offer no hope. The cross would be incredibly beautiful for the selfless sacrifice, but ultimately the greatest loss the world ever experienced. But that is not our story. We have a risen king who offers us hope if we place our faith in him, because he has destroyed the power of sin and death over our lives. Isaiah 25, 8 states, He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. For a world lacking hope, that is something to dwell upon. But even more, though, we have a God who has forgiven us, but also adopted us as sons and daughters. For those who accept his kingship, he offers redemption and citizenship into his kingdom not as slaves, but as heirs. We are citizens of his kingdom. And while we still experience pain, suffering, and doubt, that miraculous adoption should fill us with gratitude as we navigate life. But more so, we know the king is with us and will continue to teach us and draw us closer to him. So I don't know if I just sped through this whole thing, but I'm, on, I'm near my conclusion so the band can come back up. So in conclusion, whether your faith is weak or strong, be patient. Jesus patiently taught his disciples and will patiently teach you if you seek him. Pray, read your Bible, seek fellowship with other believers, of course, but most of all, seek and trust him. Remember as well that if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, 
You can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Matthew 17, 20. We can believe that with confidence because that small mustard seed of faith is placed in him. Like Peter, we have a God who sustains us in our success, rescues us in our failure, all because he loves us. And remember how patient Jesus is with us. Remember how patient he was with Peter. The rebuke Jesus gave to Peter would not be the last. Peter's faith crumbled again, ultimately even resulting in him denying Jesus. But it was Peter who Jesus built his church upon. So where's your focus? Are you like Peter? Are you focusing on the waves? Recall that Jesus immediately reached out to Peter when he called. If you feel like you're calling, but you don't feel the response of Jesus, remember that he loves you enough to die for you, but also that he's promised to never leave you or forsake you. Look to him. Dwell on what he has done and remember his promises. For those of you who are still asking, who is this man? Keep listening to his voice as he teaches you and have faith that he will show you. Jesus can take that small seed of faith and turn it into something wondrous. Seek and you'll find, knock and it will be opened. Finally, don't focus on your own inadequacy, but focus on his adequacy. Remember that it is not the size or feeling of your faith that matters, but the object of your faith. Look to Jesus, dwell on who he is, what he has done, for you but for everyone. Remember that he is the only one worthy of being the object of our faith, the only one with the power to support your faith, and the only one who delights in you enough to die for you while you were his enemies.